Hi again, everyone, and a very warm welcome to the Dr. Christian Heim podcast. It's great to have you with us. My name is Caroline Heim, and I'm sitting here with Dr. Christian Heim. This is part of a series on how to prevent depression in my life. In the last episode, we talked about what is depression, and today we're going to talk about how depression is really like heart disease and how we can help prevent it with exercise. Now, this seems to be a strange idea, Christian. Why talk about depression and heart disease together? There are two reasons that I want to do this. Firstly, recent studies show us that heart disease and depression are actually very related and share some common factors. And the second reason is close to my heart, and that has to do with stigma. You see, when somebody has a heart attack or has heart disease, people tend to be caring for them and feel for them, but they don't have any stigma around it. But there's a lot of stigma around depression. Okay, then well, let's start with stigma. What is stigma? Okay, so stigma is an ancient Greek word, and it means a mark or a brand, or sometimes even a puncture in the skin. And what the Greeks used it for was to show who were slaves. It was a label to show that these people were different. They're not like the rest of us. And the rest of society looked down upon them. This is what happens to people with mental illness. They become disenfranchised simply because other people look down on them. And there is actually no reason to look down upon people who suffer from a mental illness. So in the mental health area, I've seen four different types of stigma. What I've seen is the idea that people who have mental illness are somehow dangerous, and that just simply isn't true, that they are lowly of character, and that too is simply not true, that they are somehow unintelligent, and that isn't true either. In fact, having high intelligence is a risk factor for mental illness. And the last thing is that somebody who has a mental illness will always have a mental illness. And that's not true either. So what stigma does is label somebody. It doesn't separate the person from the condition. So it becomes their identity rather than just something that they happen to be going through. So, for example, if somebody has diabetes, we don't say, oh, here comes Frank the diabetic. Okay, we say, here comes Frank and he happens to have diabetes. In fact, often we don't even think about it. Most of the times, we won't even know it. However, we have words like, here comes Frank the alcoholic, or here comes Frank the schizophrenic, or here comes Frank the epileptic. And these are terrible words because they make the person their disease state, where what I have found, and you know to be true, is each person is a rich universe onto themselves. And to bring that person down to a focus of disease is really quite debilitating. It's the wrong thing to do. I really hate labels. So why is there no stigma around heart disease? Yeah, this is the interesting thing. One of the reasons that there's no stigma around having heart disease is because we all have a heart. It could happen to us. In fact, when we hear about somebody having a heart attack or a stroke or cardiomyopathy or something like that, our response is, oh my gosh, I hope that doesn't happen to me. Whereas when somebody has depression, we go, ooh, I couldn't let that happen to me. I don't want to be like that. The other thing is we can see the heart. We can understand the heart. And so it holds no mystery to us. So there is a lot less stigma. 
So why so much stigma around depression then? Precisely for the reason that we can't see it. If somebody says they're suffering from depression and you look at them, they look fine. Just imagine if they had a cast on their leg, then all of a sudden you go, oh my gosh, what happened to you? Or they've got crutches with that cast. Straight away, your heart goes out to them. However, if somebody says, I'm suffering from a depression and they look fine, the first thing that a lot of people unfortunately do is make a judgment. Oh, you look fine to me. I'm not sure if you're suffering from depression. We make these judgments. And this is because we can't see the emotions. It's a thing that no one talks about, isn't it? So people hide their depression, don't they? People go to great lengths to hide their depression. I have treated people who've been in the military, doctors, psychologists, lawyers, judges, celebrities, and most everybody to hide their depression. I rattled off that list of people that I see because depression happens to everybody. I have one person, a man who, my gosh, I thought he was from the FBI because he came in after hours. He wanted to pay me in cash. He told me to keep no records. He gave me a false name and said, please treat me. All right, I'm, I'm exaggerating a bit. He didn't give me a false name, right? But he was very worried that other people would find out about his depression. And it's all because of stigma. He thought he would lose his position in society if other people knew about it. So what can we do about stigma then? The big thing about stigma is we can be exposed to people with depression that will decrease our stigma. And this is where I have to thank all the celebrities who come out and let us know that they're suffering from depression. These are people that we look up to, that we value in our society, and they're telling us that they're suffering from depression. So famous people suffer from depression. Oh my goodness. When you look at who has suffered depression, it becomes almost a who's who of famous people throughout the ages. I'm going to start off with politicians. Abraham Lincoln, Winston Churchill, he called his depression the black dog. And recently in Australia, a lot of politicians are coming out and letting us know that they are suffering depression, and that normalizes it for all of us. Then there are scientists like Sir Isaac Newton, Charles Darwin. Charles Darwin was depressed most of his life. Sigmund Freud, too, battled depression. Philosophers like Friedrich Nietzsche and John Stuart Mills suffered significant depressions. Then there are the composers, Ludwig van Beethoven, Robert Schumann, Hugo Wolf, Sergei Rachmaninoff. They had terrible depressions. Musicians like John Coltrane, Bob Dylan, Billy Joel, Bruce Springsteen, they've all let us know that they suffer from depression. Johnny Cash. Artists like Vincent van Gogh, Michelangelo and Jackson Pollock. Writers, so many writers that I personally admire. Leo Tolstoy, Franz Kafka, Goethe, Stephen King, Ernest Hemingway, Sylvia Plath and Leonard Cohen. Then there are the sporting people. Heavyweight champion Mike Tyson. Swimmers, Michael Phelps, Australia's Ian Thorpe. And there are so many Australian footballers that are letting people know that they too have had depression. Even comedians, Jim Carrey, Robin Williams and Spike Milligan are three of the more famous ones perhaps, but there are many comedians that have suffered depression. And then there are all the other celebrities, Lady Gaga, Gwyneth Paltrow, 
Stephen Fry, Kanye West, Alec Baldwin, Christian Bale, Bon Jovi, Marlon Brando, and many, many more that suffered depression. And what all these people had in common was that they were human beings. And I have to tell you, that's actually the biggest risk factor for depression, being a human being. Wow, a lot of people that I admire. Okay, so you say that recent studies show that depression is a lot like heart disease. What do you mean by that? Okay, so I'm looking at studies from the last 15 years, and what these studies are showing are that heart disease and depression, surprisingly, are very closely related. But they sound so different. How are depression and heart disease related? Okay, so several big studies show the following. Firstly, that depression can lead to heart disease. Secondly, that heart disease can lead to depression. But most importantly, and thirdly, that both heart disease and depression show common features as to how they cause damage in the body. And this is through what we call inflammation. Now, I've got to explain to you what inflammation is. Now, look at the word inflammation. Okay, so I want you to get the picture of a flamethrower unleashed in your body. All right. Imagine if you put your hand anywhere near an active flamethrower. This is what happens. It gets red. It gets swollen. It gets hot. It gets painful. And you get a loss of function. So in other words, you can't use your arm properly. Now, of course, a flamethrower is an extreme example. You could burn your hand off. Okay. But this is what happens inside the body all day long. Our immune system uses inflammation to repair the body. But you see, if it goes on for too long, then inflammation can actually be bad for your body. All right. So in heart disease, it's inflammation, chronic inflammation that does damage to the heart. In the brain, depression leads to chronic inflammation that does the damage. And chronic stress leads to inflammation. So it's chronic stress that leads to heart disease and to depression. Okay, so I know about stress, but what is chronic stress? All right, so let's look at stress first, because we tend to think that stress is bad, okay? But stress is a part of life. Scientifically, we're all under stress. Even if you are as relaxed as you possibly can be, your body still has stress in it. Your muscles have to have stress. Otherwise, you'd just be a heap of bones on the floor. There is always stress just when you're standing or even when you're lying down. That's not a problem. But chronic added stress is the problem. Here's the example. The heart. The heart was built to pump and pump hard. In fact, it's happiest when it's pumping and pumping hard, right? But The heart wasn't built to pump against clogged arteries. If your arteries are clogged up, it means that your heart isn't getting blood everywhere and glucose, not even to itself. The heart was not meant to pump against damaged arterial linings. So if you damage your arteries with smoking, then the heart is given added stress. If you damage the heart muscle itself, and that's what alcohol does over a long period of time, the heart says, I'm stressed. I'm working too hard. I'm going to give up if this keeps up. The other thing is that chronic stress leads to the release of stress hormones, which tells the heart to work harder. 
And this also does damage in so many ways. All right, so that's the heart. In depression, depression is the result of chronic stress on your emotions, on your mind, and on your brain. And this chronic stress leads to inflammation. So we were all built to be able to resist the ups and downs of life. We are all actually resilient beings. The human spirit is resilient. We are able to cope with a lot. However, we weren't made to cope with the levels of loneliness and isolation and disconnect that are in society today. Those levels become a chronic added stress that causes inflammation in the brain. Okay, so how does chronic stress lead to inflammation then? All right. All right, this takes a bit of explaining, so stay with me through this. Your nervous system. Your nervous system basically has two sides. Most people have heard of a fight and flight response, but the other side of your nervous system is what I call a rest and digest. So your fight and flight response increases your heart rate, and it is there in response to saber-toothed tigers and king cobras to make sure that you can either fight these things or run away from these things. And it's good. It's good that it happens this way. The rest and digest side of our nervous system is what slows our heart rate down. It does a whole lot of other things in the body. I want you to imagine that you are at a picnic overlooking the sea and you're having a great meal, some wine with some of your friends, you're feeling really chill and good. During that time, your rest and digest nervous system is activated. All right, here's what the studies found. This is what chronic stress does. Chronic stress leads to fight and flight overdrive. All right, now that's the side of your nervous system that gets your heart to beat faster, gets your breathing rate up, gives you energy, gets your muscles shaking and trembling so that you can run away or you can fight. Okay. And what it also does is release what we call stress hormones. Now, what these stress hormones do is they slow down your immune system. It's as if they say, hey, we got a problem here. We don't have time to repair the muscles. We don't have time to fight off disease at the moment. We got to do something right now. So the immune system slows down. We've also found out that chronic stress and the stress hormones slow down serotonin production. They actually take away the food from the serotonin and send it somewhere else. Okay. And this somewhere else releases toxins to the brain and the heart. So this is what leads to inflammation. But the immune system is slowed down. So you're getting damage to the heart and the brain, but the immune system has been told to slow down. And that's all right when we've got to fight king cobras or saber-toothed tigers because it only goes for a little period of time. But you see, our tigers and king cobras of today are loneliness, despair, and isolation. And they go on for months and months and years and years and they're a chronic stress that cause chronic inflammation, which do damage to the brain and the heart and cause depression and heart disease. Okay, so what can we do about this? Right, so we can approach the risk factors of depression in the same way that we approach the risk factors of heart disease. Well, the cardiologist, that is the heart doctors, 
I think they're getting it right here. They know that heart disease is not a random event and there are things that you can do to minimize your risk. I argue that it's the same in depression. This is what the heart doctors do. They look at the seven risk factors for heart disease and they divide them into controllable and uncontrollable risk factors. So here are the three uncontrollable heart disease risk factors. Being male, having a family history of heart disease, and having a family history of diabetes. You can't do anything about those. So what do the doctors do? They concentrate on the controllable heart disease risk factors. These four are the controllable heart disease risk factors. A sedentary lifestyle. Having bad cholesterol go round in your blood. Smoking and having high blood pressure. They're the risk factors for heart disease that you can do something about. Because if you have a sedentary lifestyle, sitting in a chair all day long, you can choose to exercise. If you have a lot of bad cholesterol in your blood, you can choose to go to a doctor and get a medication that will help with that, or you can make good choices in your food to bring down that bad cholesterol. The next risk factor is probably the worst. It is smoking. You can choose not to smoke. Now, it's difficult. I know that. But you can still make that choice. And the last controllable heart disease risk factor is high blood pressure. You can choose to get it checked out and go on some medication to control your blood pressure. And all of this is based on very good evidence. All right. Now I'm going to apply all of that to the risk factors of depression. Here we go. Risk factors of depression, as you recall from last time, GP call. Call your GP when you've got too much depression. G, genetics. P, personality. C, chronic illness, chronic pain, chronic stress. A, abuse and alcohol. L, life events like getting a new house, getting a job, or losing your accommodation and losing a job. And the other L we talked about last week was lack of love. All right, so some of those are uncontrollable. You can't do anything about your genetics. You can do very little about your personality. However, in the future, we're going to do a podcast on making your personality work for you, not against you. And you can't do too much about chronic illness or some of the bad things that happen to you in life, like abuse. However, all of society needs to do something to keep abuses down, and we're all battling that, all right? However, there are things that you can control that are risk factors for depression. You can control chronic stress. You can control alcohol levels. You can manage your reactions to life events and against a lack of love, you can take care of your relationships. And we talked about that a lot in the last lecture. But what I'm going to talk about today is what you can do with exercise. Ah, exercise. So how does exercise help? Exercise helps in depression just the same way that it helps in heart disease. It decreases the chronic stress. Recall that the C from the risk factors for depression is chronic, chronic stress. Exercise decreases 
chronic stress. And it does it in many ways. Firstly, it decreases your mental stress. It relieves the mental stress. It keeps your body fit and healthy. Your muscles, as you know, hold stress. They hold tension. You can feel keyed up and not released. But once you go out for a jog, once you go for a swim, once you play some basketball, you will notice that your muscles will let go of that tension. So the chronic stress goes down. The other thing that exercise does is it increases blood flow to the brain, which means it brings oxygen and glucose to the brain and it takes away any waste products. And that has to be good for the brain. The other thing it does is it increases feel-good brain chemicals. We talked about serotonin, we talked about dopamine, we talked about noradrenaline. It also increases beta endorphins, and that is good for the brain. Your body is happy when it moves. That's what it was made to do. It was built to move. So in a way, it lifts your body profile. It lifts your mood. It increases your energy. It makes for a good night's sleep. It gives you time to think and clear your mind. It gives you distractions from worries. It's a stress buster. It's an anger buster. And the last thing I wanted to say about it is that it's a social bond. It leads to connections. It leads to social interactions. You feel a part of things. Even if you go to a gym, you start meeting people. You will have little interactions with people around you. And if you start off doing a sport... You will actually get to talk to people. You you may even become friends with people. So you may even find out that exercise leads to more love in your life. Okay, so you gave two examples. You talked about going to a gym and also a sport. Yep. How should I exercise? Well, how do you exercise? Well, you know, I do Zumba twice a week. I love my Zumba. Well, Zumba is wonderful because it combines music, dance with exercise. And doing that twice a week is wonderful. The answer is exercise any way you can and any way you want. Enjoy yourself. Just move. Take the stairs. Go for a walk. Commune with nature. Get into the gym. Join a sporting club. Just make sure you enjoy yourself. One of the ways that I found to really bust stress in my life was when I stopped work in the afternoon, I would stop off at a park and I would take a brisk walk around the perimeter of the park and I would shake my arms and move my legs and I would um, kick out, I would reach up, I would do anything to move. Uh, I would sometimes start singing just as a stress buster. And it was exercise. And it only took me about 15 or 20 minutes. And I found a lot of stress that would have come home with me didn't. It stayed in the park. And whereas before doing that, I'd come home a little bit grumpy. Instead, I I came home feeling really good. So however you exercise, just exercise. It's good for the heart and it battles depression. So Exercise can help with your looking for love, which we looked at mostly in the last episode. But here, it's taking care of your body and your mind and your heart with exercise. Hey, thanks for joining us. Next episode, we're going to be looking at how modern living contributes to depression and what you can do about it. And remember to enjoy your exercise to help prevent depression.